from the pit. Documented musical stories. Thrashed in the crowd. And raged from the back. We are South Sisters! Welcome to another episode of the Sound Sister Podcast. I'm your host, Drea Dahl, and I'm here with my lovely ladies. Say hello, ladies. Angela Rose Red. Yeah, Abigail's. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Mike Fisher, operating under the banner of Maximum Fluoride and Mike Fisher Custom Artwork. Mike has adorned posters, shirts, stickers, and decks with his macabre imaging. Mike's work has appeared in the art of ACDC, Metallica, Paul McCartney, Green Day, Foo Fighters, Rancid, Manic Hispanic, and many more. You can also check out his podcast called Anyway Whatever Podcast, where he highlights his experiences in the art and music industry with a variety of guests and their specialties. But before we bring him in, let's go around the room. Angela, what's going on with you? Well, I added another role to my my titles of things that I do for the Venomous Pinks this week, so I'm pretty excited. As you guys know, I've helped out with PR over the years, photography, writing copy, stuff with uh, media. So I'm now going to be attending your meetings, doing admin stuff to help keep you organized and add some dates on some takeaways and things like that. Um, It was really interesting for me because I was combining my corporate world with my punk rock world. So that was very interesting, Mm -hmm. especially like in a Zoom meeting. I'm like... Is everyone in agreement with that? How do you feel about that? Any questions? Anything else? (laughs) But there's something to be said about that, you know? Um, I mean, we definitely have the punk rock ethos DIY, but um, if you treat it like a business and try to set goals so you can move forward, um, you know, you get lots of results. So I'm just really happy to add something else to support you guys. And it's also really fun for me. So there you go. But on the creative side, I don't know um, if you guys remember, but back in November, I talked about how I was terribly writing a book. I was trying Mm -hmm. to get it done through NaNoWriMo, which is writing a a book within a month of November. It's like National uh, Book Writing Month. So uh, I kind of fallen off of it. I stopped it. So I uh, tapped into it again and I saw that I have like 10,043 words that I already wrote towards it. So I was like, okay, this is crap, but at least there's something there. Let's keep going with it as an exercise. So (laughs) I'm starting to explore that again. So it's really interesting. So that's what I have going on. (laughs) Well, I really appreciated your email you sent to us with all the notes. It was very professional. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) That's one thing I do. I know how to write a fucking outline. (laughs) (laughs) Good, because we need it. good to keep us on track gabby what's going on with you well since we're talking to mike fisher i guess i can release one of my projects saying a lot about it not not saying much about it (laughs) well like angela said you know finding the two things so i'm in screen printing and i play in a punk rock band so i'm starting a streetwear brand called punk streetwear i know it's brilliant but (laughs) no one's used it before so why the fuck not so I'm having actually Mike do a couple designs for me. So I'm looking forward to those. And uh, hopefully, I mean, I'm sure you've seen photos of me with fucking uh, sewing machines. Like, what the fuck am I doing? But hopefully I've got some cool things coming out. I don't know when the clothing line will drop, but hopefully in the spring. But you're talking about it. I'm talking about it. Exciting. 
and it's weird but <laughs> but I'm, I'm making clothes pretty much like all of it some stuff i'm buying and putting my name on it but a lot of it i'm actually making it with my own hands like from the tags to like the shirt you're gonna be wearing so i'm actually really stoked for that it's really fun and it's creative it's crazy Nice. So that's what's going on with me. Now you know one thing. <laughs> what about you, Trey? The Venomous Pinks are going to be releasing mm-hmm. a live album soon. So we got back the artwork today mm-hmm. and it's fucking amazing. Literally is an illustration that portrays what happened to us <laughs> in Portland. That was a crazy day, crazy, crazy day. And I think there's discussion on maybe having a Sound Sisters article just going into a little bit more mm-hmm. detail on what happened that day. But definitely one for the books, missing, touring, bad, which brings me to, you know, this weekend we're going on an official Sound Sister getaway, which is cool. We've the only time we've ever really done that is on tour. We've never actually like, you know, and we're always working. So it'll be fun to just relax, not be working and just, yeah, like not have to be somewhere at a certain time and. Not rushing. That's going to be weird. I don't know. I might just like <laughs> yell at you guys to get in the van for all time's sake. <laughs> I'm excited. I can't. I'm turning 40. I'm saying it. That's why we're going out of town. And yeah. um, I wasn't going to do shit. But you ladies are in my pod, meaning, you know, we we uh, are in our safe zones and stuff as far as being around one another. So I'm really grateful and thankful because like, we could pretend like we're not living in a COVID world right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm excited. It's going to be good. Yeah. I wonder if it's going to be haunted. No, it's kind of new. Uh, that though. actually thought that crossed out my yeah. mind too. And I was I like, well, if it is, is we're shit out of luck. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can't really do anything and we can't sleep in the cars. Cause it's going to yeah. be like fucking snowing. Yeah. It's like high of 40. Yeah. <laughs> like, me yeah yeah <laughs> i mean that's like one thing like when i book places like mm-hmm. i look at it i'm like is this mm. does this look haunted or, or not mm. i think it's like on a golf course it's like this this that's another reason why we chose it is that it's it's a big spread out cabin so mm. everybody has their own space and everything else but mm. i don't know i have to look when it was no we're gonna be like <laughs> in the white mountains where Travis Walton mm. was abducted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those thoughts have definitely crossed my mind. It's right around we're where g- I We're going to be on native land. So. Yeah. Well, at least you'll have like a quad or a bike and you can outrun. Run, <laughs> run away. <laughs> run away. From the ghosts. Run away. All right. On this round table, since we are talking to Mike Fisher, let's discuss how artwork makes or breaks your product. Maybe decisioning factors on, you know, choosing your art. I don't have an official title for this. Yeah. We're just going to discuss artwork <laughs> and what that means to us. Yeah. Gabby, you want to kick us off? Yeah. Well, like it gets, you know, we we are very DIY women, but it gets to a point that when you want to elevate your brand or whatever, you can't do it. <laughs> At least I've made that decision. Like I can't do what I'm trying to think. So I've had like different artists, like, another company I'm working on like I'm still I should be releasing that one soon but like I had a logo made and it's like that's a pretty fucking rad logo so and then with Mike Fisher's logo it's like I can't really do anything or promote it until I have that logo because I don't want to put out something mediocre and like well that looks like shit like so yeah like the brand makes you or breaks you so I think I need that iconic logo which I'm really stoked to wait on it so 
Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's something about like the Venomous Pink's artwork is like we did not we didn't have like the greatest artwork in the beginning. It was just kind of like stuff to get you by. A lot of it's considered quote classic at this point. Cause like <laughs> yeah. when I post like classic like merch with that stuff on uh-huh. it, like people want to buy it. And I'm like, really? You wanna you want like it's vintage. just like a, a button <laughs> like in a sticker, but you want yeah. yeah. It's yeah, vintage or whatever. <laughs> But I mean, the pinks, like they definitely have like this distinctive style to their artwork now. Like when you look at it, you can tell it's a venomous pinks design. Like even today, like that flyer we posted out for the live stream, like it looks like a pinks, you know, you know, artwork. And it was from Paul from Zombie Teeth. And I think that's, you know, he's just kind of become familiar with our artwork and everything. But from from my standpoint, like when I, I look at a band or I'm looking at labels, I definitely pay attention to the artwork because it tells me if you care enough to like invest in that side of your business. And that's something that's really important to us. Like Mm -hmm. I know like we like putting out merch that people will wear and uh, people, you know, that they seem to like love what we're putting out. Mm -hmm. So we just got to keep putting out. And they collect it too. Like there's some shirts that I don't even have because we've sold out of them. And I'm like, and like you see all these people that like have all the whole collection or like telling people like this is how you do your merch and being in merchandising like merch sells. Yeah. So like if you have a shitty logo, like I'll still print it for you, but like, <laughs> but you know, good luck selling it. Well, yeah. it, t- it takes back to the days where you would just go into like a record store and so- to find mm-hmm. a new band, you would just look at the artwork, you know, first and be like, oh, this looks cool. Let me check it out. You know, we didn't always have... We didn't have the stream, you know, things like that, that you Mm -hmm. could just download. So, I mean, it pays homage to that. And then also it says a lot about who you are as a band. It's not just about, oh, let's make things look great and viable. And it's also about, it's another added layer to your music. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's how it collides. They go hand in hand. So, and that goes for like, not just shirts, you know, like flyers and yeah. fucking uh cover photos for your albums like it's all about five second mm-hmm. attention spin and it, it's yeah. shit then it's even more so not yeah. less i mean you guys yeah. even do that with your photography too yeah. like the different like photographers that you use and stuff too mm-hmm. so i know like uh with lights be go my hubs band i tried to dabble a little bit in graphic design um just pretty much because you know, they, they were just trying things out. And so, I mean, I did some okay logos and everything, but I didn't know things like RPG. And, um, I took my logo and it was pretty clever. It's based off of something Rico came up with. And you guys may have seen Mm -hmm. it. It's like the millennium Falcon, like silhouette that they did in the Santa Cruz. Like, so I built it around there and I did it just enough that nobody, they can't get me for any copyright. So there you go. Um, but uh, we got a bunch of skate decks that we printed out. Well, the fucking red looks orange red, not the actual red red. So yeah, spend a little extra cash, get your graphic artist, but graphic art is definitely on one of my goals of things to do. Yeah. I think it's a natural progression from a photographer standpoint. So we'll see. We'll see. Anything I, else? I think the other thing to kind of just point out for the listeners, like pay the artists what they're worth and don't try to lowball them. It takes time and, you know, this stuff's not easy. If I could do it, like, I would do it. But (laughs) I feel that's one of the biggest things I see from, you know, graphic friends and artists alike that they just, people expect work for free. Right. And, you know. Yeah. We got to pay them what they're owed, man. Yeah. You got to make a living, too. Yeah. Like, with Mike, um, 
he's like, what's your budget? And I gave him what I was comfortable with and what he was willing to do. And like, we worked it out. And like, so far what he's given me, it's like, this is worth way more. <laughs> like, <laughs> but we're set to this budget right now because I'm just starting. But like, right. it's it's definitely worth it. Like, spend a little extra will come far, far away. But I also want to shout out to those early graphic designers out Mm -hmm. there that are struggling. They're trying to get practice makes perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, there's lots of bands out there that are looking for things. So keep trying, keep doing and keep. I mean, that's what I do with my photos. I'm nowhere near the way I want to (laughs) be, you know, so I always look towards someone that I want to strive for. So keep keep perfecting your art like the early sound sisters logo i made it <laughs> and then we paid someone else to do it and now it's fucking badass it is like badass. <laughs> it is badass which we do have shirts on sale so Ooh, you should buy some with <laughs> in the merch shop in the merch shop and we still have some of the vintage sound sister yeah logo shirts yeah we do yeah yeah they're in my closet Get them out of the closet, bro. (laughs) (laughs) All right. When we come back, we'll be talking to Mike Fisher right here on the Sound Sister Podcast. Boys and ghouls, welcome to the Sound Sister Podcast, all the way from California, Mike Fisher. <laughs> yeah, it's like a whole eight-hour drive from you guys. <laughs> but you're still yeah. on this little screen. What's the deal? <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till I can have people from my podcast in here, you know, into the in the art studio to record. So like when you guys are on tour, if you're in LA, you can just come on in. Nice. Did you Soon. have that before? Was that ever part of your format? No, because I started this like because of the whole pandemic thing. 
I started my podcast. I'd been trying to get it going. And then uh, I was like, well, I imagine with no tours and no bands doing anything, there won't be a lot of work. So I might as well find something to do. So I started doing the podcast and then my work just never went away. And I've just been crazy busy for the last <laughs> busy all the time that's awesome yeah 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 i guess it's one of the benefits of i I finally gotten i think maybe to the point that i've been doing art for bands for so long that i just don't know if it will ever go away now i think it will always be as much work as i want you know which is you know that's what i've been working for for the last 30 years so i guess that's a good thing yeah well you're you're killing it at your podcast i'm you know i'm checking it out I smashed the subscribe button to on YouTube. <laughs> Thank um, you. Why don't you go ahead and just plug your links real quick? That way, you know, people can go check them out. And- um, uh, my artwork is in a few different places. Um, on Instagram, it's at Maximum Fluoride. Uh, and on Facebook, it's at Mike Fisher Custom Artwork. And I have like an online portfolio that is kind of, it's just like the, a broad range of stuff. Uh, and that is at mikefisherca.com. And the podcast is at anywaywhateverpodcast.com and on Instagram and Twitter is anywaywhateverpodcast. That's such a great name. I know all of them are great names. I'm like, brilliant. It's yeah. freaking brilliant. Um, yeah, your artwork is insane. Can we talk about like your journey into becoming this master graphic artist that you are today. (laughs) I don't know if I'm a master of anything, but I appreciate the sentiment. Um, Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things uh, I, when I was, when I I got into punk rock, when I was really young, like I, to go back even a little bit further, my dad was kind of a music guy and he was a little bit, but he was like a hot rod guy in the, you know, when I was really little kid and so I would just like go through his record collection and and I just, even if I never listened to the records, I would just stare at the covers and I would get so blown away by the artwork that was on all the covers for these records from like the sixties and seventies, you know, like Beatles album covers and the Rolling Stones album covers and the who, all these, you know, crazy bands. And so I was always kind of really into that kind of stuff. And when I started making art, uh, even before I was into punk rock, like it, it was always like, I was always copying some album cover, um, from my dad's collection. And, uh, so when I got into punk rock, it was, you know, it was pretty much a natural thing that I just wanted to do artwork for punk bands. And, and then I never gave up on that. <laughs> and so at 51 years old, I'm still doing it. That's rad. So were you self-taught or did you have classic classically trained or <laughs> like what's your journey into as far as you finding your style and your voice as an well artist? i, I it, it, it's i'm a little bit of 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 everything where i i took a lot of my parents were very supportive of my art and that they you know as soon as they could see that i could kind of draw okay uh they start they put started putting me in like private art lessons when i was a kid like after school and so I learned like the basics of like how to paint and how to draw and composition and stuff like that. But it wasn't, you know, I was like 12 or something like that. So, uh, and then like in, in school, in high school and school, like I took every art class I could. Um, I went to, 
I went to animation school. I, I, I got accepted into the Academy of Art in San Francisco as a fine artist. To I wanted to be a painter. Uh, and then like before I went, I kind of looked at how expensive it was and what kind of debt I was going to be carrying. And I was like, even if I'm a really good painter, like how long is it going to take me to pay pay that back? Like I, I just didn't have any confidence that that there was a real career as a painter. Um, and so, cause I just wanted to be able to paint to make album covers, you know, like that was still how everything was done. You know, like we're talking like 87 mm -hmm. and, and so I decided I'd, I'd go to animation school. I had some, some cartooning skills and I, that's what I did. And then I had my first kid and I, you know, I, I didn't finish school and I kind of just went into the family business, which was, um, I was a repo man <laughs> and then my family's business was repossessions. Uh, and I realized pretty quick that that wasn't going to work for me. <laughs> it was like way too dangerous. And I was like, not, nah. it was, I needed to do something with my art skills. So I went into the video game industry. Um, and that's how I made a living for like 15 years. Um, and then like on the side, I would always do all my rock art. I do album covers and shirts for bands. And, you know, I just kind of was my side hustle for, I had a five-year plan that turned into like a 15-year plan. <laughs> uh, and then once my kids were all, you know, of, of, of age where I didn't have to support, you know, an entire family of five people, I got divorced from their mother and, um, and they were, you know, my two sons were 18 and 20 and my daughter was living with her, her mom full time. I was like, okay, I can, I can quit my job and just do this. And I've been doing that for over a decade now, just living off of my, my, my art. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. As, to, to, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut anybody off. I, I just, I left out a little part where as far as things like graphic design are concerned, I'm a hundred percent self-taught. I never took a graphic design class in my entire life. Everything I know, I learned from looking at people whose work I admire, you know, like people like Art Chantry or Jeff Kleinsmith, who is the art director at Sub Pop Records, you know, just like really, really good graphic designers in the art and in the music industry. Um, those guys were, that's why I learned everything from them. <laughs> awesome. So if there's any graphic artists or um, aspiring graphic artists that are trying to go the DIY route. Um, how do you, what kind of advice do you give to them as far as trying to, you know, expand on their art and trying to perfect their skills, uh, the DIY method? It's study everything you possibly can. Um, you know, it's like, we live in a really cool time where, where there's, there's an internet and there's YouTube and there's all these different resources where you can pretty much learn anything you want. So there's a little bit of a, of a, um, a, I wouldn't call it a cheat. There's, there's easier ways to do it than, um, you know, I had to look at art artwork on the internet. There was no videos on how to or anything like that. So go down the YouTube rabbit hole, stare at every single piece of work that you can in terms of um, graphic design or illustration it depends on what you really want to do. If you want to, if you want to be a graphic designer, just study design, go all the way back a hundred years, you know, art deco stuff from the twenties, just study everything that you possibly can. Cause you can totally teach yourself. It's not impossible. 
That's interesting because when I first started getting into photography, I remember talking to this uh, professional photographer that was a friend and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? How do I get into this? And she says, well, there's the Adobe suite. We actually have available to us the programming that people in the industry use. So figure out how to use that. And that's, that's the same with graphic art, it's video art, you know, even recording. So um, that's the beauty of it. So I, I love that, you know, Google and YouTube have definitely been, <laughs> but I, I also love darkroom photography. I studied the old school aspect and I really, really think people like yourself that do have those different layers to the old school mentality is so important because it gives a lot more depth to it. Right. And it, and it provides like so many different layers, even if it's on that little subconscious level that it's, it, even if people don't consciously know why it's good. And I think that that's important to still, um, still d- dive into. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Software now is, is, is very nice. Like uh, I got an internship at a computer company <clears throat> when, when I graduated from high school in 1987 and <clears throat> pardon me. And uh, you know, Adobe illustrator, version one was brand new. That was like the new hot thing at this computer company. You know, everything else, you know, I learned the old school way, cut and paste and, you know, rub on letters and you do everything the hard way. It's no computers yet. Um, I didn't really start doing computer design until probably, I think I got my first job in like 95 doing like, you know, a, a, a full-time job as a computer artist in like 1985 in the video game industry. But half of my job was still drawn on paper. Yeah. You know, it was like. Well, I think people take it for granted too. Like they take for granted just what you could do with a click, not to say that that is an art and that isn't amazing, but you gotta, you gotta know how to build something from the ground up to be able to skip ahead and to really, really add that additional uh, depth to it. So. That's pretty awesome. I, I think that helps for sure. I think knowing how to do it, but like if you went to a graphic design school today, they wouldn't be teaching people how to do that. And that doesn't make the designers that are coming up right now any less uh, proficient at what they do. I think the understanding of what design and illustration and all of the the basics of everything that came before can now be applied digitally. Um you know, I'm, I feel fortunate that I learned how to do it the way I did. Cause I mean, I mean, you know, like the first real work I got paid to do were like punk flyers for, for bands in the eighties where, you know, I was like, I was at a Kinko's with a, you know, glue stick and an exacto knife and a pair of scissors. And I was cutting and pasting stuff together and making, you know, collage flyers that way. Uh, and, and I, I'm very lucky that I was able to learn how to do it that way, but you know, I think it's valid to do it any way you do it, you know? Do you ever tap, tap back into some of those old school techniques just for fun? Do you ever sometimes revisit it? <laughs> uh, forever. I, <laughs> I, I had a, an ancient old school photocopier here in the art studio, and it was my prized possession because I could still do stuff that way. And a lot of the stuff I did for Slope Records um, who you guys are familiar with. Um, I did that. I did a lot of this stuff. The early stuff I did for slope was all, it was literally done on a photocopier, the slope logo, the skull logo. 
that was that was done on my photocopier. <laughs> <What? Crazy. laughs> so, rad. so you're you're a kid in the eighties. You're going to punk rock shows. Do you, what shows are you going to? Do you remember your first show? Let's talk a little bit about it. I absolutely remember my first show. How could I yeah. possibly forget? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite there yet, but it wasn't too far after that that I did start because I started to become friends with with other kids who were in bands. And it was like, you know, I just I put my foot I put my foot in the doorway and wouldn't let them shut it closed until they let me do work for their bands. Um uh, first show I went to was in 1984. I saw um 45 Grave. Nice. And, and like a bunch of, you know, a bunch of local bands, Executioner yeah. and Thieves Cross and bunch of bands like that that probably nobody has really heard of outside of san jose but um yeah and then it was like I, you know you know i talked about it a little bit on my show uh and I'm, and I'm not sure if i if i talked to you guys much about it when you were on my show but you know like i i was one of those kids who was super curious about everything and and my parents were really cool about like they realized very early on that I was a kind of kid who was going to go to bed when I was tired. So they never really gave me a, a bedtime because I wasn't going to stay up till one in the morning if I had to go to school because I, you know, I would go to bed when it was time for me to go to bed. So they kind of let me do my thing. And I would stay up and watch Saturday Night Live like in the in the late 70s when I was like eight or nine years old. And um, like Devo was on an episode and I was just like, what's that? That is like. I've never seen anything like this before. This is so cool. It was like they were weird robot people and their music didn't sound like any other music. And so I went to school and some kid was like, oh yeah, it's punk, punk stupid. And I was like, well, I don't think it's stupid. I think it's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and so I just started trying to find, I was like, a, you know, nine or 10, 11 years old trying to find punk, but you know, I was too little to, to do much on my own. Um, and then fear was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And I caught that. I must have been 11. And that was it for yeah. me. I mean, that was really, that was, that was the end of everything for me. I didn't care about any other kind of music. Like it was just about trying to find punk music. And um, I just kept doing the best I could until I found on college radio in the Barria in the eighties, there was a show called vinyl rights and it was on every Thursday night. Uh, I think it was between 10 and two or eight and midnight. I can't remember, but it was just hardcore punk, like four solid hours of hardcore punk. And I, that was it. That's how I found out about every single band when I was like 12 years old. And, uh, it has been my entire life ever since <laughs> that moment. Wow, four hours. They must have played a million punk bands, right? A <laughs> hundred songs. So many songs. I mean, the bus All the punk are bands. I mean, what a great title. Like, Vinyl Rights. So I know. Cool. It was so track. good. And then, like, his, his intro was from Dirty Harry, you know, like, I know what you're thinking, punk. Did he fire six shots or only five? And that was, like, the intro to the show. It was, like, the, the best thing ever. I still remember it like it was yesterday. And... I recorded it every single week. I recorded all four hours. I would set it, I would start my recording. My my tape recorder would flip and record two sides. At it, when it went off, it would wake me up. I'd get up. I'd put another tape in and record. And I had I had shelves and shelves of these tapes, and I labeled every single one with every single band and what song, as much information as I could. And I just had 
you know, hundreds of these things. My parents would buy me cases of blank TDK cassettes from Costco and I would just fill them, you know? Dude, your parents yeah, have parents' goals, man. Yeah, your parents rad. are awesome. <laughs> did, you, did you run and try to pause it if there was like commercials or was it four hours straight? It was pretty much four hours straight because it was college radio, right? Oh, yeah. So you didn't have to do that. I mean, come on. We all Shit. remember that. Oh, my God. Let's hurry up and pause it. It's, it's the commercial. Like, yeah. dodging your stereo. Yeah. Gabby, you might be a little too young. Did you ever... Do you know what a tape is? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in Mexico, so they're like 10 years behind. So, yeah. Oh, okay, I do. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yes, I do. I do know. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, my, that, I think that's great. Um, do you did he did you say the show you went to the first show or no? It's 45 grave. Yeah, yeah, 45 grave. Yeah. Dude, I got <clears throat> dementia. Like I'm just I'm just, <laughs> I'm just every day seems like Groundhog's Day at this point with uh, COVID. Oh <laughs> god, it's so weird. Just surviving, man. Just surviving. <laughs> you know, one of the things also, one of the other big things that that ended up working in my favor that that is still paying dividends for me 35 years later is um, I figured out, I went to the art store and I bought a screen printing kit, just mm -hmm. like a speedball kit with one screen. And I taught myself how to use it. Um, actually, that's not true. I traded some artwork for a band who gave me this old screening kit. And they're like, if you just make shirts for our band, we'll give you the kit. Cause one of the guys in the band had it. And, um, I taught myself how to use that thing. And I learned how to make, you know, just like single color shirts. And I figured out that um, as cool as my parents were, they 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 really didn't like me, my whole punk rock thing. They, they they didn't really get it at all. They were understanding, but it was not as it was not as easy road as I make it seem like maybe. Um, but they were always supportive of my art. But uh, one of the things is they would never give me money for anything. So like if I wanted to go to a show, I had to sort it out on my own. And so I figured out that if there was a band coming in to the Bay area, I could, I could make shirts for the band. Like I could make uh, a bunch of patches or shirts for like the band aggression or seven seconds or one of these other bands that was coming in. And then I could go to the show and I could sell, I could sell enough to get money to get into the show. And then I learned pretty quickly that if you go around the back of a venue, that's where all the bands are hanging out in their vans. And I would just give them, a bunch of shirts and patches for themselves to sell. I'd be like, Hey, I made all these things. Um, I sold some to get money to get in and you guys can have the rest and you can sell them or do whatever you want. And like so DIY, man. Yeah. there are, there are relationships that I made when I was 15 years old that I said, I'm still doing work for. So note to self, yeah. <laughs> make merch. And then give it to the band. No, I think that that's brilliant because yeah. how many people wow. would just, and people today still, well, the bigger, bigger shows, like I'm not talking about punk rock shows usually, but you know, those, you know, whatever, like blockbuster ones that where people are selling pirated merch outside. But the mm -hmm. fact that you were like, I'm going to DIY this, I'm going to do my own art on this. And you know what? I got enough. And instead of keeping on selling it, I'm going to give it to you to help you keep on doing your thing i mean that that's pretty what, rad the sacrifice. sacrifice what what were some of the bands from back of those days uh i definitely did a bunch of stuff for seven seconds and one of the logos that i actually painted myself with a paintbrush they still make shirts out of now 
Like I, 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 I was friends with somebody who was associated with seven seconds. And, um, and so I just, I ended up giving them the original art and I, I, I still see shirts that are seven second shirts that are, that use that artwork. It's the seven with the circle and the cross in it. Um, but there is a specific one that I did. Uh, and you know, I definitely did some stuff for aggression and some stuff for ill repute. Um, and then like, you know, several like, you know, local San Jose bands, I would do stuff for them and, you know, they'd get me into shows or whatever. And like, you know, I was like that kid, man. Like if there, I lived in San Jose, which is about an hour drive from San Francisco. Um, so if there were shows in San Francisco, I would, I would ride the bus. I would ride the bus all the way to San Francisco, 50, 60 miles. Um, and I would always be like one of the first people there. And I would always leave last. I wanted to see every single band. Like I wasn't just there for the headliners. I wanted to see every single band on the bill because I wanted to see who the next guys were who were coming along. And I just wanted to be a part of everything and just like, you know, hang out and do my thing. Do you ever, have you ever like been at a show and seen some of your old, old school merch running around still from back then? No, no, nothing. Nothing that old. Um, it, it is weird, though, that, you know, I've been doing this for so long and I've done stuff for so many bands that, A, sometimes I forget there are things that I've done that, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, when Gabby from uh, uh, Manic Hispanic died, I had forgotten that I did the the cover art for Mijo goes to junior college. And I was like, Oh, that's right. I did that thing. And <laughs> I had totally forgotten about it. Um, and, and that's like a thing. It's just, I've done so much stuff. And then the other thing that is a weird thing for me is that, you know, I, I, I do all my work and then I send it out into the world, you know, and then I, it, it take, it, it gets its own life. And like, I'll be in some random place and I'll see someone wearing a shirt that I designed or something. And I'll be like, oh, that's super weird. Like I was on tour with my band in Amsterdam and I was in the red light district and I saw some guy wearing a shirt that I designed. Like a totally random thing. I was like, the <laughs> hell is that all about? <laughs> you look over, that's a rad design. Oh shit, that's mine. That's mine. <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> yeah, I actually went up and talked to the guy and he was like from Poland or something. It was even more random that he wasn't even from <laughs> Netherlands. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that stuff happens all the time. It's it's kind of weird, but it's cool. It's like, you know, I, I guess, you know, I have a bunch of stuff in books and, you know, one of the things as an artist, I think, whether you're a musician or you're a visual artist or photographer, whatever it is you do is, um, you know, I think part of the whole idea is that, um, you end up with some kind of legacy for, for your, your talents over the the course of the years of whether it's a bunch of records you put out or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm getting to the point now where, that stuff's kind of becoming important to me. It wasn't important to me before, but now I'm like, oh, you know what? Like a hundred years from now, I have work in books that's, that are in the Library of Congress and they will, they will literally live forever. My art will live forever in, in places like that. And it's, it's a trip sometimes to think about. <laughs> well, even in like punk rock, you're like make 
history logo is like, right like that it, seven seconds yeah. logo is so iconic at yeah. this yeah. point yeah i have a shirt you know like yeah. everybody has that yeah, everybody has that shirt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I i wouldn't i did not design the logo that was just my version of it mm-hmm. um and because i did it with a paintbrush so it had a cool sketchy effect to it um rather than the one that they'd been using forever so i did not design that logo but i definitely did do a version of it that is on a lot of shirts still now Crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. <clears throat> so growing up in California and, and, you know, discovering punk rock at a young age, is that kind of how you fell into singing for a band at some point? Absolutely. <laughs> I started my first band <laughs> so that I would have a band that couldn't say no to me wanting to do artwork for them. <laughs> <laughs> Now I know oh, what yeah. I got to do, guys. <laughs> Christmas album's coming out. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to be in a band for a lot of reasons, just because, you know, I, I like I said, I was like, one, I'm like obsessive about things like that, where when I get into like a thing, like I, I, I get all the way into it. And so when I was, you know, 14 or 15, 16 years old, like being in a band was there was no way I was going to be as involved in the scene as I was and not be in a band. Um, and so it took a little while to, to get, I kind of lived in the, in like, I lived in a weird neighborhood that was like this weird white sub- suburb that was kind of surrounded by crazy gang, gang ghetto. And so we were in this little pocket and there just wasn't enough kids like me at my high school to be able to, to get anything going. So I had to travel to a couple high schools over to where there were a, a bunch of other punks. And so it took me a little while to get things going, but um, I managed eventually. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> did, you, did you notice like a uh, difference or influence in your art? Like once you started diving into the music aspect from your perspective, did did that take a different turn or influence or just kind of like fed it even more? Yeah. I mean, it, once I, I started, once I realized that I was kind of, you know, I had friends in bands and I would do, you know, flyer work for them or I would do little drawings for them to use as stickers and stuff. And once I start, once I kind of figured out that I was good enough at it, that people wanted it, it was like, I was desirable at, at what I was doing you know, that was the catalyst for me to like really like start pushing it. But, you know, this was back in the time when you had to like, if, if you wanted to work with a band who was not in your area, you'd just send them a letter, you know? And so I spent a lot of time photocopying, putting together like little photocopy portfolios and like sending it to discord records or sending, you know, sending it to wax tracks or like what all these other, all these other labels all over the country are just bands you know, I was like really big on mailing bands, you know, and then I would always get letters back. Like I have, I have a stash of in my, in my, you know, stuff of like, you know, I have letters from Ian Mackay, you know, like what, like right after Minor Threat broke up, I have, you know, I have letters from like crazy, crazy people that I got when I was like 15. Cause just cause I sent them a letter and said, Hey, I'm interested in your band. Like I want to do artwork. Do you have any flyers you can say? Like just you know, mail correspondence. It was, you know, totally different time. Wow. <laughs> Old school. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Once I figured out I could do that by email in like 1997, <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, um, but 
when the internet in the late nineties, when it was really first starting to become something that ra- that everybody could kind of access, there was a website called mp3.com. Do you remember that? I remember it. I remember that? Yeah. It was like, it was Bandcamp. It was es- essentially Bandcamp. It is almost exactly what Bandcamp is, where you put up your MP3s. The only difference is that people could order a CD of it. So you could put up like a whole records worth of stuff and I could like go and listen to the songs. And if I liked them, I could click buy and it would burn a CD and send a burnt CD to the what? customer. <laughs> What is this? <laughs> is this what you missed? This I guess. MP3.com. Interesting. Shit. She, well, uh, she was in Mexico and she was, was a little, was a little different. Yeah. I had eight tracks by the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Uh, you know what's funny is um, one of the first punk records that I got was um, I got Devo's Are We Not Men on eight track. That was oh, like wow. the first piece of, and it was cool because it was yellow. It was like the, because you know, the album cover was yellow yeah. with that art on it, but the, the actual casing on the A track was yellow too. It was pretty cool. I wish I still had that. That's great. That's great. So we have what's called like fan girl moments. Do you have any specific or fanboy, I should say, or whatever. And um, any sort of artist that you were like, oh my gosh, I get to create artwork for them. Like what are some of those major moments? Because Drea went through your list of just some of the few that you worked out and I was having a fangirl moment just (laughs) Just listening (laughs) to it. I was like, damn, that's pretty right. We're talking to him. (laughs) What? Um, Yeah, yeah. There there are definitely a bunch of things like that. Uh, Whether um, there are definitely bands that I've done work for where I was like, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, but but then there are other people that I've done artwork for that are just like, it's just like the Paul McCartney thing is like, I don't like the Beatles particularly, and I don't care about Paul McCartney in particular. But yeah. to say you did a shirt for Paul McCartney, that's a thing. Like you could, you, that's a thing you could say and people would be like, oh shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> No matter who, what kind of music you're into, you say that that's, that's bragging rights. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, if, if I look at stuff like that, um, I'll just, just quickly, I'll go over some stuff like that and then I'll get to the stuff that I was like, fuck yes. Um, But like, you know, like I did shirts for Led Zeppelin, did shirts for Aerosmith. I did shirts for Rihanna. I did shirts for, um, Leonard Skinnerd. I did shirts for Lionel Richie. Like I've done shirts for like all these massive, huge, massive people. And it's like, you know, you have those moments with that and you're like, okay, that's validation. Like I now know that I, like I'm a professional in this business. These people are no fucking joke. Like even if I don't like or listen to the music, like there's a validation there that you, I mean. They're emailing you now instead of you sending mail Right. 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 It's true. It's full circle. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I, uh, I got to, um, I got hit up by one of the guys in the band body count and ice T has a, a, like a clothing line called, Oh, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, he has a clothing line powered by hate. And, um, 
they needed somebody to do a bunch of designs for them. And so I got to email back and forth with Ice T. That what? was pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, I was no going to ask, like, oh. what, what does that look like? Because I'm sure some of those bigger bands, you're emailing like other correspondents, right? Mm-hmm. Some other. Yeah, I, I never, I never talked but, to those but, people. But I see, no, 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 you spoke to Ice T. <laughs> so rad. <laughs> I did. And, and, uh, he's, and, and, and of course, once the podcast started kind of, you know, I started getting some traction with it. I was like, I'm fucking asking ice T to be on my podcast. And he, he said, no, <laughs> but you asked and you got a response, yeah. right? You actually got a response as opposed to nothing. If you don't ask the answers always no. Truth. That's right. Yeah. Or you uh, never know. Yeah. You know, but some of the bands that for me personally, where I was like, where it, I had like major kind of fanboy moments. Uh, the first one for sure was, uh, I did all of the artwork for DRI for, I don't know, probably four years and in like 20 years ago. And so they started just putting me on the guest list for every show in LA and they, they became like my friends. And I would like, just hang out with DRI whenever they're in LA. And it was like, that was kind of the first one where I was like, Oh shit. That's like, cool. You know? (laughs) That's awesome. And like, if I was at a festival somewhere and they were playing, it was like, Oh, what's up? And like, you know, I'd jump in their van and we'd go get food somewhere. Like it was like, hang out with DRI day. And you know, uh, it's cash. (laughs) Yeah. There's, you know, and it's funny because like there are those, the, the ones like that. And then they're like the, the one that for me lately, and it was like right before the pandemic uh, was I got, I did some shirts for refused and they're, they're one of my favorite bands for sure. For forever, like going back 25 years. Um, and that was like, like even my wife was like, shit, dude. Like <laughs> you've got to be really stoked on that one. And I was like, I can't even fucking believe it. Like, <laughs> well, as long as Paul McCarthy isn't like come to you, like, dude, I love <laughs> your shirt design. <laughs> oh like, uh, yeah. You know, so there's things like that. And like, you know, I, I did, I did, you know, the tour shirts for rancid for, for like their summer 2019 and then their fall, and then they came back for fall of 2019. And then I had a couple approved designs for their tours that were supposed to happen last spring, but of course everything got canceled. So that that's a pretty big one for me too, because I'm a super huge fan of Rancid too. So, you know, and, and it's just like random stuff. Like, you know, like I, I I've done so much, like, you know, like there's a, uh, there's a logo for the band Fang that uh, I kind of redesigned their classic logo, like, I don't know, probably 20 years ago. And that still gets used. And I still see that. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. You know? <laughs> sure. So the going back to the Rancid, the 2019 turb, is that the one with like Dropkick Murphys, that shirt? No, or- I did the ones that, that were sold at Punk Rock Bowling. Oh, yes. Uh, that were around that mm. tour. Um, and then it was like, they did like, oh, they did those fests, like Rancid Fest or something where they did like little, so those were all for sale there. Um, and then they were supposed to go out with Dropkick Murphys that got canceled. And so there's a couple designs sitting there that I think that are, um, 
I don't know if they ever, if anybody ever goes on tour again, maybe they'll show back up. I had a bunch of designs for a bunch of different bands in that state that they're just like kind of, I suppose they'll be in limbo forever. I don't even know if they'll get used when things get opened back up. There's like no way for me to know really. You should do like some sort of like, we should all do like a collective like art show where it's like artwork that was supposed to happen before the pandemic or something like that. (laughs) That'd be some sort of like rad thing and we could, donate it to something, (laughs) some cause. I don't know. I just personally would like to see the artwork. So that's just me, but I'm just wondering how much artwork we already have. That's Mike's (laughs) in our closets and flyers. Yeah. That's what I was thinking Mm. too. Um, A lot of what we talk about on the podcast is just giving different advice to various different uh, creatives. And, and uh, so when you're sitting there trying to think of a design for a band, I'm sure there's many that come to you probably with like, here's an idea or here's what I'm thinking of, but there's probably a lot of others that are like, just go nuts with it, especially with your background. Do you ever find yourself getting stuck? And if you do, like besides music, is there other forms of inspiration that you use to kind of draw to get various ideas, to keep things fresh, to keep things moving and going in a punk world that's often reusing similar themes. Yeah, that that I'm pretty fortunate that I don't really get artist block ever, pretty much ever. Um, I, I'll elaborate a, a tiny bit on that in a second, but um, more to your point, um, I almost always get when, when somebody comes to me with a project and like, oh, we need this thing. Like it's almost immediately something pops into my head. Um, and that is always the first thing that I sketch or quickly design to send over. Um, and then uh, almost always that ends up being what, what gets used. Uh, occasionally, um, bands will be like, well, we want this specific thing. And then that's easy enough. Uh, but if they le- leave it to me to do my thing and the first thing isn't what they want, uh, then it, then it can get tougher. Um, because my first idea is it's like, if I have to come up with the second idea, it's, it's always less interesting to me. Uh, and so it's a little harder sometimes to, to pull something together on that. Like right now I have a, a design, I'm, a shirt design I'm doing for Ben. And the first thing that I sent was like, it was a killer idea and they loved it, but the band doesn't want to use skulls on anything. And so it, I can't, we can't use it. So now I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cause it was like an angel, like holding their logo, like a, like a, like an, a child like cradling it like a child. Oh, it was such a good idea. Uh, but yeah, no skulls, they said. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So so what other kind of mediums and stuff do you like to dig into? Um, I know you mentioned painting. Um, you have a DSLR, so I'm assuming you do some photography possibly or... Or maybe yeah, no, I don't actually. The DSLR is strictly <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> sorry, I was like planning to geek out about that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Just not kidding. that I won't do it, um, but you know you can't go anywhere do anything right now. So, <laughs> um, I if I if I really it's more than I suffer from any kind of block. I suffer from exhaustion because I I keep five 
six, seven, eight projects going at a time. And they're all different things. Like I'll be working on a painting. I'll be working on the podcast. I'll be working on shirt designs. I'll be working on an album cover. Like, and, and sometimes I just will realize like you have not stopped doing stuff for like 20 days straight. And then like, I'll just get like, my brain will just shut off and it'll be like, you're not doing anything right now, dude. <laughs> you know? And it's like, uh, so the thing for me when I need to recharge if, or if I'm, if I am feeling like I'm not coming up with as good ideas as I, as I could, I read, you know, I like, I read Stephen King books primarily. Uh, but I read, you know, I read, I like fill everything back up by reading or watching movies. Um, I'm like a super huge movie fanatic. And so, you know, I'll watch my favorite movies or something like that. And that will almost always help. Me too. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's the visual combining. There's so many different layers with that. So that's great. That's some great advice. Well, the thing that's nice about movies too is like um, your favorite movies are, you know, I think the reason why we watch them uh, uh, as people, the reason that we watch movies over and over again is um, that you don't have to think too much about how things are going to go or how the things are going to end or what's happening with the story. You can just be comfortable absorbing something that's, that makes you happy, you know? And um, it, it might, for a long time, my wife didn't understand. She's like, I don't, how many times are you going to watch Pulp Fiction like, or Jaws or something? And I'm like, like a th- like I'll never stop watching him. You know what I mean? And it was like, I kind of explained it to her as like, you don't look at a piece of art one time, you know, like you don't look at a painting on a wall one time. Like if you can have it, you'll look at it all the time if you can't, you know, or listen to a song one time or a record one time. It's the same thing for me. Like you, you keep going back to that well, because it, it hits all those places inside of you that make you feel good about, about something or some time or, and uh, so that's a huge one for me too, is like, you know, I'll put on like old black flag records or, you know, you know, minor threat records and makes me feel like I did when I was like 16 years old and like hungry to like, I I could not wait to figure out how to do all the things I wanted to do, you know? And that's something we've kind of talked on about this podcast too, is like, what do you, what gets you out of quote writer's block or just a block is always like you know going back to the roots listening Mm -hmm. to stuff that you know fuels that that fire in you um i mean you just blew my mind because i thought about times where i've had those blocks and then i really i am a person that does 20 different projects at once and so i never thought of it that way and now i'll feel a little bit better because maybe i just need a rest (laughs) <laughs> and watch a movie. I need to watch a fucking movie or something Just like rest. that now. But I mean, like movies, pieces of music. I mean, these are things like quoting high fidelity. These things matter, right? <laughs> these fucking things matter. And it also like helps us understand more of who we are as people. So I think that's definitely valid. I totally agree with that. These things do matter. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the things about punk music, um, that maybe I wouldn't even say punk music. I would say anything that I would consider to be underground music, death metal, grindcore, you know, black metal, punk music, hardcore punk, what all of those things that are kind of in that, under that same umbrella. Uh, I, 
they do matter. They, the reason that we are, you know, people who are committed to this for life is because it's the only thing that matters. Right. Um, and I, and I, I sometimes think about people who just, I hate to use the word like normal people, but people who aren't involved in a scene like we are, um, like they just like listen to whatever music's like put in front of them, like whatever the radio says is cool for them to listen to. And then they just move on to the next thing. And, you know, there's no, the, the amount that underground has given me and in, in my lifetime, uh, like I, I, I can't even imagine what person I would be if I hadn't done it. You know what I mean? Like I, it's a, it's, I'm getting to the age now where these things are starting to, uh, they're starting to strike me, you know, like even my mom, my mom listens to my podcast. And, uh, one of the things that she said to me recently is she's like, if I had known what punk music and, and that whole lifestyle was going to mean to you over the course of your entire life. Uh, she's like, I wouldn't have hassled you about it when you were a kid. She's like, because it, she, you know, she listens to my show and she hears me talking to the, you know, the, the people who do punk rock saves lives. And she's like, Oh, Holy shit. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. this, this was such, cause you know, in 1984, all the bad guys on TV shows and movies were, punk rockers yeah yeah, yeah. It's, like, well, I mean. it's so comical it's so comical in the cartoon characters yeah. and then it's not even punk music that's playing in the background it's not even done right yeah. it's hilarious it's so funny but yeah but i mean that scared the shit out of my parents you yeah, know when i showed up with I a do. mohawk she was like oh my god what is happening we're, now born and raised catholics growing up yeah. like that's that parents was not having it was not, but it kind of fueled that friction, you know? And I definitely believe that punk rock chooses you because somehow we, we find a way, you know, it's kind of hard for me because, you know, I was a little bit sheltered until older, but there were certain things that out of nowhere, I remember like the addicts, like seeing that like face and that like logo when I, when I got older, like I saw that when I was a kid and nobody in my family liked that shit. So I know <laughs> somehow I discovered it like at a really like young, young age. So I think it's, it finds you. It definitely does. And it wakens something inside you that can never be silenced. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that is the thing. That is really the thing is uh, I just think that there are certain people who are built and it, it, that see the world or are built in a certain way where, uh, there, there is no other real option for, for, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like once you, once you've been around it and you realize it's where your home is, uh, you know, that's where you're going to be forever. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, tr I've transversed all of the different, I've done a ton of death metal stuff. Um, you know, for, for most of the two thousands, I was like super into death metal, um, and, and way less into punk rock and, um, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of moved more back into, to listening to a lot of punk, but, uh, it's the same thing there too. Like the people in death metal and the people in, in all those scenes that kind of butt up against, against punk rock, they're the same, they're the same people, you know what I mean? Like there's a little different patches on their jacket. <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. 
so yeah, no, I know you're, you were like, you know, you're super into death metal metal. Can you give us some band suggestions? Mm. You know I mean, all three of us, you know, we're yeah. maybe like listen to like popular metal, but yeah. I would love to know Hot like, <laughs> what should I be listening yeah. to right now? Like, what am I, what should be on my radar? Oh boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I, I tend to to stick more to the classics in the death metal er, area. Um, there are some newer bands that I like. Like, there's a a band that there's a an, a, a, an Arizona band called um, Gate Creeper uh, that is really good. They play kind of retro death metal, but they're all like you know your age. Okay. Uh, they're really really good. Gate Creeper is really good. There's a band called Tomb Mold um, that is also, but their Tomb Mold is like. You guys are musicians. When you listen to the the, the way that they write their songs, you're going to be like, "Fuck," because <laughs> <laughs> those those guys can. Oof, man, it's something. Um, but you know, like I, I'm I'm like, I was I got super into hardcore punk right at the time when it was it was a thing, like eighty two, eighty three, eighty four, eighty five, and then it started to disappear fast all of the hardcore punk, punk bands started doing other stuff. They just started crossing over into metal or they started like getting more like artsy and post-punk, you know, bands like Husker Du started, they didn't play hardcore punk anymore. And, you know, a bunch, like even seven seconds, like started going in a different direction. And that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to keep listening to fast music. And so right around that time in 86 ish time period, you know, bands like Napalm Death and um, Extreme Noise Terror and, you know, Terrorizer and Cannibal Corpse, they started to pop up. And so I went that direction because the music was still going fast. And it was like, you know, it was like the first steps. It's like Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax are basically the bridge between Black Flag and Cannibal Corpse, right? And so I was on that bridge too. And I just kept going that way as I... I that the one of the things that has always been important to me uh, when I'm listening to aggressive music is how fast it goes. Um, and so that's why a lot of this stuff, I just kept evolving in that direction. But so, you know, a lot of the original like entombed is an, an, an amazing death metal band, probably the best death metal band ever. If I'm, you know, if I, if I'm saying, but uh but they changed a lot after the first two records. And then they came up with this thing called death and roll, which was like way more rock based death metal. Um, and I love that stuff. A lot of people didn't like it, but um, you know, cannibal corpse is always, you know, a classic uh, dismember. I'm, I'm super into Swedish bands in general, whether they're hardcore bands or whether they're um, death metal bands. So I like a lot of the Swedish death metal bands like grave and, unleashed and and dismember bands like that um but yeah for newer bands check out gatecreeper and check out tomb mold for sure and then there's a band called necrot n-e-c-r-o-t that band is in that same category and they fucking rip <laughs> guess what we're listening to this weekend <laughs> 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 I mean, tomb mold what a yeah. Awesome name. <laughs> like damn. Gate so, creepers. So good. that's a perfect music for camp like cabin 
Yeah. Cabin music. Cabin music. <laughs> right. Well, the thing that's rad about Gatekeeper too is they're all like guys from the hardcore scene that like, they're, it's a, it started as a side project death metal band, like old school tribute death metal band and, you know, became like a huge thing. And they're like one of the bigger players these days in the death metal world. <clears throat> that yeah. seems to be a thing too. Like a lot of the 2000s hardcore band guys, like they all started grinding death metal bands like after the 2010s kind of fired up like bands like Nails, you know, like they came from the band Terror, um, you know, shit like that. Uh, yeah. Dude. You guys said that you guys like you, you might listen to more like popular metal. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> Not to bring them up on this podcast again. <laughs> this is like an ongoing uh, theme. I don't know. Fucking Metallica. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was such, I remember being in high school. I was like little and I'm like, I'm going to go to, I went to like the summer sanitarium doors and like Metallica shows and I would get thrown around and I fucking loved it. I was like, I'm going to die, but it's going to be great. <laughs> fucking loved it. Awesome. But I mean, back then I didn't really, I wasn't really tapped into a lot of underground, except for Authority Zero. I did see them a bunch at the Nile because I went, I worked my at Barrow's Pizza with them when I was like 15. But other than that, like I really didn't have a lot of that until I got, you know, in my 20s and stuff tapped into the scene. So I don't know. What about you, Drea? I mean, my I I'm totally influenced by my brother, so he, mm. I was listening to what he was listening to. Um, mm. So yeah, Metallica, Ozzy. Slayer, Ozzy, Iron, like uh, yeah. Judas Priest, mm-hmm. like ACDC, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and all me- all the good shit, like the good classics at this point. Yeah, I just had to find mm. it. I yeah. didn't really have any older influences because my brother liked country and like I mean, <laughs> not country don't get me wrong i love like country western and mm-hmm. stuff and the mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. my brother liked like japanese hardcore like i don't know if darren gray like if you guys heard of them like they, i have heard of that band they, like yeah. they were hardcore and then they weren't and then japanese stuff is like crazy like yeah <laughs> one day they're like deathcore metal looking and the next day they're all like poppy like it's I think that was one of my first concerts when I went with my brother to see Darren Gray and that shit was fucking hardcore at the marquee. Like, yeah, but I know my cousin used to listen to like, <laughs> like vocals sounded like that. And, <laughs> and that's my attempt. Like, <laughs> like if their logo looks like a bunch of branches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good to go. yeah that's what my cousin used to listen to. <laughs> so and, good. So good. I, yeah. I, I can never the, read the game. <laughs> the ridiculous thing about like, the extreme metal categories is like there's like 50 genres yeah it's like 100 there are the death metal bands that you can't read the logo and then there are death metal bands where you can read the logo and the difference between the way they sound is like one (laughs) percent have you ever had bands like can you make my logo not readable (laughs) like that you bet. Oh, nice. You <laughs> bet. I, I did a ton of, of like death metal logos uh, for a long time and I got pretty good at it. And oh. the funny thing now is that the only time I really am, am hired to do uh, like a death metal logo is for some corporation that isn't a death metal related thing. And they just want to kind of be, you know, ironic or whatever. 
and that's fine. I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever. I'm, I'm a professional artist and designer. I don't, I'm not picky about stuff at all. So, yeah. Mike, when uh, we talked to you back in, was it May? July. July. Damn. Well, your episode came out in July, so I don't know when you okay. talked to me. It could have been May. So, <laughs> yeah, at that time, like, we all really didn't really understand, like, you know, COVID or how long it was really mm-hmm. going to last. And here we are. We're, we're still in it. But there seems to be a little bit of hope, you know, with vaccines mm-hmm. rolling out, all that kind of stuff. Have you thought about what you might do when it's quote safe again? Maybe mm-hmm. go to Disneyland. <laughs> well, definitely do that. <laughs> that's what we want to do. <laughs> We're season pass holders, so we go a lot, like all the time. And so, absolutely. And I went. I went with my kids. My kids are like your guys's age, and so um, I went with my my son and his wife and my daughter and her fiance, uh, like a month before, like in February. <laughs> and it was like, and it's funny cause I just got a check from Disney corporation for not being able to use my pass for half the year. They sent, they paid oh, me back, uh, but so I, was, I didn't expect to get any, I'm like, Disney's never going to give me money back. And then I got a check for like 110 bucks. I was all, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, for sure, Disneyland's going to be on the short list of things to do. But um, you know, I, I don't get out to as many shows as I want to. It, it seems to be that uh, if there's a good festival in Vegas, we'll just do that. Like we go to Punk Rock Bowling, obviously, because I've seen you guys there. Um, and then we go to Psycho Las Vegas, also, which is more kind of doom metal, stoner rock. Although they've started putting in all kinds of different bands and we had tickets and reservations for last August, but of course we couldn't do it. So our tickets are still good. Um, but that fest used to be pretty primarily like doom and stoner metal bands. And it was like, you know, be high on fire church of misery, like, and then they'd have like some black metal bands. It was a pretty good mix, but the, the, the lineup for the coming up one is like, it's a bunch of those. Um, the word emo is is a weird one because it means something different to some of my age than it does to someone your guys' age. Um, <laughs> but bands like Boy Sets Fire and Thursday and um, a bunch of those kind of emo bands uh, are on the bill with like Danzig is like one of the headliners. And, and like King Diamond, you know what I mean? It's like a bunch of death metal bands and a bunch of these emo bands. It's a weird lineup this year, but looking forward to that next summer, hopefully if it still happens. Um, and then I, I'm most looking forward to being able to have people in my art studio for my podcast. Yeah. Like that's a huge thing for me. That was the initial idea is I have this insane 400 square foot art studio at my house. Like we converted the, a detached garage, like full pro. Like you, if you put a bathroom in here, you could live in it. And, uh, my wife is very generous. She, she does very well. She's very successful and she kind of indulges whatever (laughs) my art stuff is. Um, and, uh, so yeah, just to be able to have people in here, like on set talking to people in person, uh, when bands are through, cause that's one of the great things about LA, every band comes through here and to be able to book 
guests that are on, on tour to come through and sit down and talk with me in person. I, I can't wait to do that. That's awesome. So I got to ask you this question because um, I ask every guest this. So please don't judge me because I know you're a podcast host. <laughs> but seriously, when I don't ask it, people ask. And it's so funny that I have to go through this every time. But disclaimer, I got to give you the disclaimer. OK, so um, if you were a burrito, what type of burrito would you be? That's the what, that's the first part. But since the pandemic, I've had a second part. If you are a fan of burritos, is there a local spot that you want to plug? Because let's support local and go. Uh, I'm I'm a huge Mexican food fan. Yes. Uh, I I do like burritos very much. I also am a taco person for yeah. sure. Uh, and not to digress too much, but I make myself breakfast tacos every morning from scratch. Every day. That's how I start my day. (laughs) Tell me what's in these breakfast tacos. Um, I go with, uh, (laughs) I go with three color potatoes or yellow uh, or uh, white, red and purple potatoes diced and hashed with uncured turkey sausage diced Hmm. uh, scrambled egg. Shredded cheese on most of the time I do flour tortillas just because they're more convenient than corn tortillas for like an everyday thing. They just, just tend to last longer for me. Uh, yeah. And that's, and then, you know, pepper plant hot sauce. And that's mm-hmm. what I have for breakfast every single day. So it looks like you're making us breakfast when we're <laughs> going to I mean, LA on tour. Props <laughs> to the purple potatoes. Yeah, I'm telling you, you would be surprised. We get different answers to this all the time. But let's continue on to the burrito aspect and a local. I mean, now when I say local spot, it doesn't necessarily have to be local to you. It could be just any sort of um, independently owned establishment. Out here in the West Valley of Los Angeles, there is two locations of a place called El Tapatio. Um, and they make the best Mexican food on earth that I've ever had. Even better than f- Mexican food I've had in Mexico. <laughs> Whoa. Dang. Shots fired. <laughs> so, so, but, but what kind of burrito though? What kind of burrito? We went into the breakfast talk about what kind of burrito. If I am, this is going to be a little controversial, maybe, uh, <laughs> Cause I'm taking it to San Diego and I'm saying, I want to get California burrito. Cause it got French, they got French fries in it. And that's some next level killerness. That's my jam. <laughs> yeah. California burrito for sure. Dang. Mm-hmm. Love yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, we do like to ask the guests about any paranormal experiences you may have had <laughs> or encountered in your life. Didn't we do this when you were on my show? I don't know. Did we? I think we started. We started <laughs> interviewing him. Like we started oh, asking yeah. him questions. Yeah. Well, I gotta <laughs> ask. But we can. We can also go into UFO extraterrestrial. <laughs> we can go into Mandala effect. I mean, any zombie. And zombie. Do you believe in anything? Sasquatch. <laughs> Tell me. Sadly, that. sadly, I, I I am not a believer of things. Um, I'm a proof person. Uh or personal experience person, but I also just disc- don't discount the possibility for just about anything. I'm, I'm not 
closed-minded about things. Um, I do not, as a non-believer, I don't believe like that a person has a soul or that there's a spirit or that there's a heaven or a, there's any kind of thing like that. So I don't, from that understanding, I don't know how there would be ghosts. Um, I don't understand because like I look at it from a physics standpoint. There's no physics that support the idea of ghosts that I can understand. Not saying that that means there isn't. I'm just saying from a scientific physics standpoint, it, it doesn't add up to me. So I have never had a paranormal experience or any experience that I couldn't explain or that was so random that it left me wondering what I had experienced. I've never had anything like that. Um, as for UFOs, um, <laughs> I believe certainly that somewhere in all of the universe, there is other life. Um, has it visited earth? Um, I think is debatable for me. And again, it's just, it's, it's just a science and physics thing. Any, any beings that have a command of physics that could get them here uh, would be so far advanced beyond us. It'd be like us spending more than five minutes looking at an anthill. And so I don't know that they would come down and need to like probe us or take us up to look at us. They would already, uh, they would already know and understand everything about everything that is happening on earth because just to build a craft that could get from any place that is further than we know about that the technology would be so advanced. It just wouldn't even be like, we can't even conceive of that level of advancement. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's possible. Parallel any, universes. Any of I totally believe in the multiverse, <laughs> even though I can't see it, but I understand the science of that. Uh, I, I spent a long time in the two thousands. Um, I got super into Buddhism, uh, in the nineties and studied really pretty heavily, uh, for about a decade. And then I, that kind of put me on a path of, um, physics and quantum physics and quantum mechanics. And I did a lot of reading on that stuff. And so I have some understanding of how the multiverse is proposed to work. And so to me, that seems plausible. So your parallel universe, it would be a graphic designer for pop music 100% of the time, right? So is that, is that, just kidding. <laughs> just well, I mean, kidding. I, the multiverse theory is that every possibility exists for every single thing, right? So That's where Sassy be, lives. I would I would also be a a 17-year-old trapeze artist in the 1908 uh, Chinese traveling circus in Shanghai. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like everything is everything in the multiverse. Now you know what to do on that shirt that you can't come up with a concept. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Mike, I want to know your thought on the U.S. government or like a bunch of governments now that are like accepting UFOs, like that they're real and they don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> um, I'm okay with that being. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with, with evidence. I'm an evidence person. You yeah. give me the evidence. I'm okay. Fine. <laughs> I'm into it. Like, so yeah, you know, there is that. And, and I watched a bunch of stuff on, um, you know, guys know who Bob Lazar is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I watched all that Bob Lazar stuff and I was like, 
credible. Totally. The dude's totally credible. Um, and so that goes a little bit to what I was saying, where the, the technology that they suppose supposedly have, they still can't figure out how it works. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that just kind of goes, but that does mean that if I believe that, then they've been here at least on some level, you know? So yeah, if they give me, if, if the governments <laughs> of the world give out the proof, I'll, 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 I'll check it out for sure. Cool. I'll check them out. <laughs> well, Mike, it was amazing talking to you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I wanted to cry three different times just from like all the inspirational yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shit you said. It was, and it's just, it's nice to yeah. talk to, you know, yeah. nice to talk to you. So, yeah. Well, it's absolutely awesome to talk to you guys. Like I, I, I had a good time on the episode that you guys did on my show and, uh, you know, it was pretty popular and it, it was cool to get to know you guys. And it's cool now doing this work I'm doing with Gabby and like, you know, always kind of being in contact with you guys. I, I like you guys and I consider you guys to be friends. So I appreciate you having me on. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm in the package. So, <laughs> just so you know, just well, that's why, uh, that's why I sent you a friend request a few weeks ago. I was like, well, you gotta, we gotta oh, get shit. her in the mix. Get in my friend request. <laughs> You haven't accepted it. I haven't accepted. I, I I haven't accepted anybody. Decline. Oh damn. Okay, I'm gonna go find it. <laughs> awesome. Oh. It was. It, I'm totally inspired by you. I need to go out and create all the things and do all the things and make all the noise. So well, that's the thing. You just can't. You can yeah. never give up. That would be my advice to anybody. Like, don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't or that it won't work or that you shouldn't or that you got to grow up or that you got just, you have to be true to who you are and you have to keep going. Like you, you can't, you gotta be willing to put in the time and be dedicated to what it is you want to do. And you know that every single person I know who is, who has been a lifer in the scene is the same way. They just never stopped. Just kept going. And that's what you gotta do. You guys keep going. Damn. <laughs> and you know what we'll get that that venomous pinks artwork it'll happen mm -hmm. I, it has to happen man like it's on it's it's yeah, a goal for, for sure yeah. mike fisher artwork yep <laughs> anytime hit me up anytime all right dude well thank you yeah so many virtual hugs to you <laughs> thank you again for having me on i appreciate it oh. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> hey, this is Siobhan from the She's a Punk podcast, and you are listening to the Sound Sisters podcast. Because, of course, you are. They're the best. Once again, thank you to Mike Fisher for joining us on this episode. Go check out the Anyway Whatever podcast and Mike Fisher custom artwork. And remember to smash those subscribe buttons and like buttons. Remember to head over to the website soundsistersaz.com to read up on our guests and view pictures and videos mentioned in this episode. Go to Facebook and like us. Instagram to follow us at soundsistersaz. Check out our kooky sister podcast called Grave Sisters, located under the Sound Sisters platform on all streaming platforms. Check out older episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play, and leave us a review. 
don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We have new t-shirts on our merch shop over on the website, so go get one. Once again, thank you everybody who still supports the Sound Sister podcast. It really does mean everything to us. You know, on that note, this is your host, Drea Dahl, signing off with my lovely ladies, reminding you to keep your eyes on the prize, always do your best, and wash your hands. Thank you. Good night.